want the Big Ten Championship, and we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Run Past Michigan, RPM podcast here on The Athletic. Uh, if you are a general subscriber, I suppose, you're listening to this one. This is our free show of the week. I'll be back Thursday for our subscriber-only show. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, please do so. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast and rated us, please do so over on iTunes. Um, here today, Nick Bongrunner, of course, with Austin Meek. Austin, how are we doing on Monday here, Labor Day? We're doing well, Nick. First of all, I think on this podcast we need to begin. Um, I believe that you owe an apology okay. to all the uh, the great fans of the Cheesecake Factory, <laughs> yeah, that uh, right. fine uh, yeah, fine American know. casual dining it's, uh, establishment. It's fine. <laughs> like that's like the great thing, right? Where it's like it's fine. It's like they have a thousand things on their menu, and most of them are fine. And I guess I always have a trouble with that because it's like this, their signature dish is the cheesecake, but they have like 400 flavors of cheesecake. So, <laughs> you know, uh, my apologies. You want cheesecake and the bigger problem with the cheesecake factory the is that time. you have to wait in line for like three and a half hours every time you go there, right? That's it's I, it's issue. been a long time since I've been to a cheesecake yes, factory, yes. but um, I, they probably will not be sponsoring our podcast. <laughs> no, but that's probably okay. not. That's fine. That's fine. We don't we don't need them anyway, uh, or like McDonald's or any <laughs> other menu that's uh, gigantic. But, uh, but but, yes. but to the point. Uh, so you. Uh, we covered Michigan's right. season opener against Middle Tennessee, uh, and after the game, you you wrote, I think, very accurately that looking at Michigan's offense was was kind of like eating at the Cheesecake Factory, where there's a lot of stuff on the menu, uh, yeah. but you don't really know uh, what what the signature dish is. Yeah, and I, and I almost wonder, and we talked about it up there a little bit. I almost wonder if that's by design. I wondered if the more I w- the more I've watched it, and I'll I'll have more on that on Tuesday, kind of a rewatch of it. But the more I've watched it, the more I kind of just wonder if. That was just the plan was, I mean, Jim Harbaugh kind of said it after the game, right? You know, we ran a lot of plays and just about everything they practiced, they called. So maybe that was the idea. Maybe the idea was get as much on tape as you possibly can and then work backwards and try to focus down the offense from there, pare things down. But the other part of that, too, that I will say is Josh Gaddis is really aggressive. Um, He's very... You know, his play calling style, I suppose, it did feel a little bit like this is a guy who's certainly been waiting 15 years to call yeah. the game. Yeah. Uh, but but it's but there wasn't much wasted stuff. There wasn't there were very few times where they just lined up <clears throat> in a standard formation and just ran inside zone. It was either inside zone with a jet motion or reverse motion, or they had a different formation or they were disguising a personnel group. There was always something going on that either set something else up that we would see later in the game. Or something going on that was there to you know, to either bluff something or, or make something make you think about something. So there was very rare did you see a play, and this is the old pro style offenses. They just line up and double tight, and it would be two on each side, and they just hand the ball off, and it was nothing more than that. And they didn't do a lot of that. So I do think part of it was empty the bag as much as you you want in the preseason. You worked on a lot of stuff. Let's see what we're really good at. And then the other part of it, I think he's just aggressive. I think, and I think that might be something that we see that he wants defensive coordinators constantly thinking about everything that they have to offer, which is quite a bit when you really think about it. Yeah, you, you raised the point, point. I think it's a good point, that typically in a first game, a lot of times the way coaches mm-hmm. will approach it is they'll be as vanilla as possible. Right. Uh, just, you know, you don't want to tip off 
your future opponents about what you're going to do. You want to be able to beat a team like Middle Tennessee yeah. without having to show a lot. But it, it almost does seem like it's the reverse mentality for Michigan is that there was so much talk in the offseason about what's this new offense going to look like? You know, What is Josh yeah. Gaddis going to bring to it? And I still don't really think that we know no. what, what the bread and butter is going to be. And maybe that was on purpose, yeah. that they don't want, uh, you know, they want the teams that they're going to play in the future to have to prepare for everything that they're going to do. Yeah, and I think that that's, that seems to be his personality. We haven't been around him long, only only nine months. And we've talked to him a handful of times. And, of course, everybody's talked to people that, that know him and everything else. But it seems that his philosophy offensively is to be the aggressor, to be the attacker, to be the person who is relentless with his play calling and designs and setups and everything else to where there are no tendencies. You don't want defensive coordinators sitting there thinking, okay, I know in this situation he likes to do this uh, because that felt like that felt like two quarters of scripted plays. That did not feel like 15, yeah. 15 scripted. I'm sure it wasn't, but it felt like two quarters of everything was done but kind of by design. And then in the third and fourth quarter, things got a little... You know, I think they tinkered with some stuff and obviously probably shut down maybe even some of the things they were doing early on in the game. But it really did feel like a an offensive approach that was, we're going to make you adjust to what we're doing, and we want to put all that out there for everybody else to see that when we line up in 12 personnel with two tight ends, we can do 30 different things or whatever. I mean, so many different things they can do in all three of those groups uh, because of, like we've talked about as well, because they have Nick Eubanks and Sean McCune, two legit two-way tight ends, that help them play uh, uh, in, a, in a different manner. So there's a lot of things they can do in a lot of different spots. Being predictable should be about the last thing that this offense is. That I, I would have a hard time, based on what we just saw, seeing a situation in six weeks where like, boy, I know what they're running here, you know, or this looks predictable. We've seen this formation, that's a tip or whatever. And um, if that was the goal, then that was accomplished because they put a lot on film. Um, and not a bad time to do it. You're playing a team where you know you're going to beat them probably anyway, so not a bad idea. Yeah, I happened to walk out of the press box uh, beside a couple coaches from Middle Tennessee, and I overheard one of them say something to the effect of, you know, we heard all offseason about this Mm -hmm. new Michigan spread, and all they did was go out there and line up in 12 personnel. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of different things that they can do out of that, Uh, partly because they have a tight end like Nick Eubanks that they can flex out wide. You know, Mm -hmm. he, he can be a de facto wide receiver if they want him to be, which is kind of yes. a you know a, a pro style concept, uh, and I think it'll be interesting to see. You know, if if I underestimated anything with Josh Gaddis's offense, it, it, maybe it will be how much they use both of those tight ends. Yeah. Because I think my you know, pre- preconceived notion about it was they're going to line up in a lot of yep. three and four wide receiver sets, but we saw two tight ends on the field a lot of that game. Yeah, so it was mostly eleven and twelve, which is the the three wide one tight end or the two and two and. Um, but when you're in 12 with Eubanks, like we said, and I think a lot of this was dependent on how he advanced as a player. He is a 6'5", probably 250 now, guy who in high school was a 210-pound wide receiver, 230-pound wide receiver. He just split out and ran routes. I mean, and then they brought him here to run in a pro-style system. But, I mean, when you have a guy that can do multiple things, now all of a sudden Nick Eubanks looks like a guy that a couple more nice games under the belt, makes a couple big catches, and he's an NFL prospect because of all the things he can do. Um, and it allows you to disguise, you know, 12 is 11, uh, 11 is 10. You know, if it, sometimes it looks like they have four wide receivers on the field when, in fact, Eubanks is out there and he can motion around and do different things. So a lot of it was like, and I think I'm in the same boat as you were. It was, we heard a little bit about the tight ends this year or in the offseason of they were going to use them a lot. And I remember thinking like, okay, 
you can only do that if Eubanks is dynamic. Because if he's not, then it's a wasted situation because you have too much receiver talent. I know you wrote about this a little bit Saturday as well. There's too many guys at, yeah. at that receiver position. Even in a day where you didn't see Donovan Peoples-Jones, there's too many good players to just take one off the field and sit him down somewhere because what are you gaining otherwise? And, and with Eubanks, maybe maybe you can make that case. But I think we did see, if anything else, we saw, boy, they have a chance to be very explosive at those skill positions, and this offense really looks like it's going to take advantage of that. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to watch moving forward. As you mentioned, they didn't have Donovan Peoples-Jones in this mm-hmm. game. Uh, Tariq Black left the game uh, for, for a time at the end of the first half. Uh, and Sean McEwen said today that the um, it was partly matchup based. Yeah. That the looks they were getting from Middle Tennessee uh, made the two tight end formation effective for them. So when Donovan Peoples Jones gets back, uh, do we see you know more of those wide receivers on the field together at the same time? And that was kind of what I I wrote about Saturday yeah. as well. You know, does at some point Michigan need to say, okay, we've got these. It's three wide receivers who are head and shoulders, you know, above yes. any other players that we have in terms of their explosive playmaking abilities, and we need to just say, this is our offense. It's throwing the ball down the field to these guys because even in the pretty limited time we saw that on Saturday, like when Michigan's offense was really clicking, mm-hmm. it was. The RPOs yep. and throwing the ball down the field to Tariq Black and Nico Collins. Yeah, it was driving. It was throwing to run. So it was throwing the ball to set up the run. It was not the other way around where you see it, see it in the other ways where it was run the ball to set up the pass. This was, as you said, a lot of times even without Donovan, you know, they'd line up Collins and like Tariq Black's touchdown was a great example. They line up both both on the same side of the field. They both run vertical routes. Collins cuts across the middle of the field on a on an inside kind of drag, like a deep drag, and all of a sudden. If you're these DBs, whether you're in man or in zone, you got to make a decision mm-hmm. where it's like we have two guys who, even if we cover them well, have a chance to go up and get the ball. And so we've got to make a choice here. Where do we think this thing's going? It was a blown coverage, and Tariq Black ends up wide open. But let's say that that wasn't a blown coverage. Let's say mm-hmm. that that DB continued his route with him. So all of a sudden, if you're Shea Patterson, you see that, and you're like, well, that's a win anyway. Because if I got Collins or Black or Donovan – in single coverage, down the field, I'm taking that throw every time, and I'm going to see what happens. And so there was a lot of even little things, too, where they'd, they'd call a couple uh, a couple four-man routes where the basic primary was let Nico Collins or Black run eight yards down the field and then just stop against a DB that he knows he can beat. So mm-hmm. it's just the back shoulder thing, and then he gets an easy first down. When you start putting Peoples-Jones out there with those other two, Oh, man. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the jet motion stuff we saw, too, a lot of times where they'll move guys around and run them down the line and just end up handing it off or whatever. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones adds a wrinkle there. Um, if you put all three together in a trips formation or something and run something out of that, that's really hard to cover, you know? And that's the thing that last year when you watched Michigan and the very few times that they did have all three healthy, you just sat there and said... Why are they not doing? Why are they not doing more of this? Why are they not running three man rounds with those guys in the field at the same time? Why are they never on the field at the same time together? And when they were, why why did it seem like it was some sort of gadget thing or whatever? And now it's truly there were so many times where if they had four receivers on the field or or if it was twelve personnel guys were split out, everybody's running a route. It wasn't two guys are staying in and we got a two man route designed to get one guy open. It was mm-hmm. there are literally three or four options every time, and you're really truly forcing people to cover you know, 
all spaces of the field. And, and those receivers, let me tell you, I watched Michigan State on Friday night, and they don't have anything <laughs> like that. And that's, yeah. you know, I mean, they have they have their problems, obviously, offensively, mm-hmm. but there's going to be a few teams you see in the Big Ten that have wide receiver, a wide receiver situation like that. That is pretty special and pretty impressive, and, I, you know, that's why they hired Josh Gaddis, I mean, to take advantage of this this year. Yeah. Is this where we talk about the quarterbacks? Sure. We should probably yeah. talk about the quarterbacks. Always got to do that, yeah. <laughs> you have thoughts yeah. on, on that. Yes. Well, I mean, like, I think we were in agreement, right? Like, this was going to be a unique situation going into the season because they did clearly want to get Dylan McCaffrey some time. And mm-hmm. I think in the second half, we saw maybe what that will look like with, you know, a lot more. I mean, Harbaugh did say Patterson was dealing with an injury, I guess, at halftime or something. He didn't want him to get more. Yeah. He didn't want him to take hits. <laughs> but it's like, must not have been that bad because he still played. But anyway, obviously McCaffrey's a better runner. So maybe there's situations where he comes in a game and, and you want to show those type of packages and things of that nature. But the two on the field together. Yeah, that was strange. It's yeah. just lunacy. It's just like, it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, it doesn't it doesn't fit. It, and it was very forced um, at a weird time. And it was almost like, Somebody just had a. It just felt like somebody had a random idea. We got to do this. We got to force them out there. Let's shove it into the game plan and see if it fits. And then they went back to it, and it was just like you got a you got an illegal substitution the first time you did it for a penalty because people were confused. Mm-hmm. And you got Dylan McCaffrey getting hit in the back and in the side by two rushing linebackers because you threw him <laughs> a little pop screen or whatever. And then the second time out, it's a delay of game because people are confused and it still doesn't do anything. So it's just. That has to stop. Like, that needs to go away. I mean, yeah. If they want to motion McCaffrey down, put Ronnie Bell out there. He's more effective in that. Or let them just, if you want to put McCaffrey in the game, put him in the game at quarterback and take Patterson out. If not, just let Patterson run the offense. If you overcomplicate that stuff in a game that matters, that's going to cost you. And, and, you know, possibly even a game where if it comes down to one possession, you're just giving a possession away. That's what yeah. that felt like to me. Yeah. So... I'm new here. I yeah. didn't watch. Uh, you know, I didn't watch certainly every snap of Shea Patterson last year. Mm-hmm. I admit I've been a little bit surprised uh, by sort of the fan perspective on those two quarterbacks, <laughs> because when I watch Shea Patterson, it's like you know this guy can play. Yes, like he's not Trevor Lawrence. No. You know, he's he's not going to be a first round draft pick. Right, but he looks to me like a good college quarterback who can excel in the system that Michigan yeah. is running. And it feels like, and I, you know, you can't paint with too broad of a brush. Mm-hmm. This you, you probably hear the vocal minority sometimes on these yes. things. Yes. But there certainly is a vocal minority of Michigan fans who are like, get Dylan McCaffrey in the game. <laughs> and just, again, I'm the outsider here. Yeah. I've, I'm going primarily off of the little bit I watched of last year and what I saw on Saturday. I didn't necessarily see Dylan McCaffrey do anything where it's like, oh, this guy definitely exactly. needs to be out there instead of Shea Patterson. So I think there's a couple things at play here. And again, I think it is a vocal minority, like you said. Um, but that group of people is always very, they sway a lot. So I think that that group of people, when Michigan signed Shea Patterson or got the transfer from him a year ago, they convinced themselves with the help of probably some people writing some ridiculous angles, <laughs> uh, convinced themselves that he was going to be Baker Mayfield. They, okay. I mean, straight up. They convinced themselves that this guy was going to come in to this system, light the world on fire, leave after a year, and be a first-round draft pick. That was a, there was a section of people last, a year ago, March, that thought that was going to happen. Some of us wrote, that's completely insane. <laughs> 
That's not fair <laughs> to Shea Patterson to suggest that and everything else. And then he ends up having a pretty productive year, but he wasn't Baker Mayfield. And so those people are automatically like, this guy sucks. Get the other guy in there because at least because McCaffrey's faster. I mean, he's a faster he's a mm-hmm. faster athlete. He's bigger, all those things. And he came into the Notre Dame game when, when Patterson got hurt and looked poised for two possessions. So those people cling to that and have now convinced themselves that this guy's a better player despite you know only throwing the ball 15 times or whatever it is in his career. So it's a vocal minority, but I think that that group of people you know, foolishly led themselves to believe that Shea Patterson was going to be this like you said, like like you said, he's a really good senior quarterback that most teams in college football, most teams would say, I'll trade my quarterback for that. Mm-hmm. Um, is he a first round pick? No. Is he, you know, is he gonna win the Heisman? Probably not. No, I mean if he does, you know, fair enough. But probably not. But he's a really good college quarterback. Um, he's gonna win you a lot of games. But I think that people just are on are constantly on that hunt for like, boy, well, what if McCaffrey comes in and he's and he just runs an eighty has an eighty yard zone read every single play or or does all these things. So I think it's the backup quarterback's obviously the most popular guy anywhere. We Always, know that. yeah. Um, but it's also, it becomes a thing around here where I've seen that guy enough already. I know what he can do. I know what, he, <laughs> and I know he's not going to give me any more than what he can do, even though what we know he can do is still really good. Uh-huh. But he's not going to give me like the elite stuff, the crazy elite stuff all the time. So I don't want him. I want to see McCaffrey because maybe he can. And I mean, that's just foolish. You're not going to do that. As I wrote the other day, Patterson is the starting quarterback. McCaffrey is a weapon you can use. That's it. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to sprinkle in things because you think he's a good player and maybe he'll be a very good player here someday, fair enough. Because like we've talked about before, you got to keep guys engaged. You know what, You know how the transfer situation works with quarterbacks sure. now. But a lot of that becomes unfair to Shea Patterson. But it's also like it's interesting for Shea Patterson because now he's going to see the other side of this. Because he spent last he spent nine months last year before the season started hearing about how great he was from this fan base who likes to hype yeah. up certain people. And suddenly all it snaps like that, and he's going to spend the year figuring out what uh, guys like Wilton Spade and Jake Rudock and the rest of them have started here over the years have found out that uh, even after you have a good game, they can turn it's, on you pretty quick. So yeah. it can be a bit of a cauldron for sure. Well, I think you hit it on the head that we're going to find out if some of what we saw was just like <laughs> opening game uh-huh. goofiness, like playing a team that you're going to beat. So yeah. you do some things that you're not going to do when you're playing at Wisconsin or at Penn yeah. State. And this is the game where you get all that stuff on the table. That's one possibility. Yeah. Or the other possibility is that they continue to try to do this. Right. They're just Mountain Dew uh, on grass. Whatever, yeah, right? yeah. And, um, <laughs> uh, you know, Shea Patterson, um, I thought was, was you know, was handled it well mm-hmm. after the game. He certainly didn't come out and say, like, oh, yeah, that completely threw me out of my rhythm yeah. uh, when, you know, when they were taking me in and out. But you could definitely look back at it and say Michigan's offense was actually moving pretty well. And then they had that series where they brought in McCaffrey and it just kind of bogged down a little bit. And in the second half, they're playing McCaffrey more and they did have a couple touchdown drives, but it was never as fluid as it was in that sequence in the second quarter when it seemed like their offense was really clicking. They did the same, a similar thing. This is why my impression was, I'm guessing here. I'm totally guessing. I don't know this. That felt like a Jim Harbaugh, we're doing this. It really did. Because last year they did that in the Wisconsin game here, where they're moving the ball, they're, they're doing some really good stuff, and then suddenly, without any warning or whatever, they just bring in Joe Milton for like some special... <laughs> 
quarterback run package, and it just completely destroys a drive. I mean, and they're like right near the red zone. They're like the 30-yard line. They're going in, and they're moving the ball. And this thing just – it's just this forced, awkward – you know, they wanted to reward Joe Milton for playing hard and, and doing good things in practice. So they wanted to get him in the game, but it was just like, no. Like, you know, so – so I don't know. You know, that's one thing where I would think that maybe that goes away and maybe it's something... Because we never did see that again, to be fair. That yep. didn't happen anymore. So maybe it's something where Harbaugh said, we're doing this because I want to see it. And maybe he'll look back now and say, all right, it didn't work. It obviously threw our momentum off. We're going to put that in the, in the garbage. And maybe one day, if you see a matchup you like against a certain team, although I can't imagine what that matchup would be... Uh, but so maybe, yeah. but you know, I just don't. It doesn't make sense. The two on the field at the same time is so dumb, because if you're splitting one of them out as a receiver, you're automatically losing a weapon at receiver because they're not receivers. Mm-hmm. So it's just it makes no sense. All right, so we've talked about the offense. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. There were a lot of things that we were um, interested to see in terms of personnel with the defense and how Don Brown would would use the pieces. Yeah, you know, is it fair to say that? There were some surprises, but maybe not uh, as as major as we thought. You know, they they it looked to me, and I haven't gone back and looked through all of it, but mm-hmm. a lot of the game they were basically lining up with four down linemen yep. and Carlo Kemp and Ben Mason are yes. your two defensive tackles, which we talked about on a previous podcast. Is that really getting your best eleven guys on the field? But that was at least initially. Uh, the look that we saw from yeah. this defense. Yeah, and that situation with Donovan Jeter hurt, um, and obviously he didn't play, and then Duham Ford didn't play either, that that is not your best 11. I mean, Ben Mason, I mean, God love him. He plays hard, and he loves football, and he's a good kid and everything else. He's not, I mean, it's going to take him a while to become a defensive tackle. They list him at 270, I 270, think, even. Yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> and he was getting moved pretty pretty regularly by, you know, an A, what are they, uh, Conference USA, whatever, oh, offensive yeah. line. Um, that I was a, that was a head-scratcher. Almost every time they went to it, to me, it's a head-scratcher because not only are you putting a guy who just isn't a quality defensive tackle, at least not right now, you're putting him on the field and you're taking off Josh Uche, which is, I mean, every time he was in the game, and I haven't looked back on every single snap, like you said, He's making plays. He's mm-hmm. near the quarterback. He didn't. I don't know if he had any sacks, but I think he was like an inch away a couple times. He's all over the place. You can't take him off the field. It just can't happen. And so that was a head scratcher to me because I don't. I think he's still Don Brown. I think he's still caught in the middle of like, do I want to just wholesale myself out and say we're going to be a like a three three five because they don't really do a lot of that or. Or do I want to try to build depth in the interior tackle? But then, then again, they didn't. We didn't see Mozzie Smith or Chris Hinton. Um, I know the older guys were hurt, and maybe that'll change when those guys get healthy. But it was a it was a head scratcher because you you think forward, right? And you mm-hmm. say, you know, maybe even next week with Army, but seriously, in two weeks when you're playing Wisconsin, yeah, boy, oh boy, and you're gonna have to probably have that interior guy on the field. You got to find something because that's. Uh, Ben Mason against Wisconsin's interior defensive... I mean, that's not fair to ask him to, to handle that. That'll be a bad situation. 
Yeah, Josh Uche, uh, no official statistics on Saturday, uh, but he had a big day no on stats. Sunday. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> when they looked back at the <laughs> tape, they, they gave him a sack on a play okay, where right. the ball, uh, it was like a, a mishandled snap, yep. and so he chases down the quarterback. They love uh, to do that, by the way. The, the stat fix uh, after the fact, yes. <laughs> so he picked up a sack. Uh, he picked up a forced fumble that they originally <laughs> gave to Aiden Hutchinson, yeah. and he picked up a pass breakup. So uh, he uh, just... ended up having a bigger day than we thought. Uh, you know, there were some times I thought that uh, that Michigan did get creative defensively. Yep. You know, there were a couple times that they moved Hutchinson inside over the center, yep. and then he was able to get to the quarterback. A couple times where they, like, overloaded a side with a bunch of pass rushers. Uh, Jordan Glasgow got to the quarterback a couple times. So you know, we saw, I think, the beginnings of some really creative things with that they can do with this defense. And I think we also saw that they're going to have to be yeah, creative okay, with this yeah. defense. You know, I, I think... It came up uh, in the preseason of of Don Brown saying like we're going to be even more aggressive this year than we've been in the past, and I think people kind of freaked out about that. Of you know what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know because the rap is that you know they play this man to man coverage and they get destroyed by the better teams. I think part of what we saw is they're going to be more aggressive, kind of out of necessity, yep. because they can't just you know line up. Exactly. Whoever you think your best eleven guys are, you yep. can't just put those guys on the field and count on them like winning their one on one matchup. Yep. Yep. Like you if you want to be consistently getting pressure on the quarterback, you're gonna to have to scheme it and you're gonna to have to be creative with it. And I think we, we realize that their best eleven is their fastest eleven, which is not necessarily their biggest, to right. your point, right? Where we, we did see, like you said, where, where Hutchinson moves inside and you put three defensive ends on the field. And Hutchinson at times even dropped back into coverage. We saw that mm-hmm. a couple of times where Glasgow replaces him or things of that nature. So, yeah, I think you're going to have to just rely on your speed and, and try to be and try to outquick people. Um, and there's no other really no choice. It's it's not like the the first year Don Brown was here. They had eight or nine defensive linemen who were all of NFL ilk. And when you can rotate guys like Ryan Glasgow and Brian Monet and and some of those dudes inside who are just beasts. That makes life a little easier. And when you can rotate Chris Wormley and Taco Charlton or Sean Gary and Chase Winovich as your defensive <laughs> ends, makes life pretty uh, pretty easy. And no no cuts to guys like Quiddy Pay or Hutchinson, but these guys are are not of that physical maturity yet, um, and they're not in terms of experience either. They, they haven't played as much, so you're going to have to be creative. And I think you're going to have to play to your strengths, which is which is speed and. You know, they got Ambry Thomas back in, of course. He's fast. We know that. Vincent Gray played faster mm-hmm. than I think I can. we can see why maybe they've liked him so much that he played faster than I thought maybe he would have been capable of. Uh, he made some plays. Brett Hawkins made some plays. And, you know, you got a guy like Uche who runs a 4-5. You got to get him on the field. And the thing of it is, is when, when you have Mason inside like that, it's like, I almost wonder if it'd be better if you just took Ben Mason, stood him up, and said, you're a linebacker, just fill that gap. Because if you're going to stand in there and just have to, like, wrestle with... I mean, it's just... <laughs> there's no way he's going to win that. I mean, against just about any offensive line you play. So, you know, it's an interesting group, but uh, it's certainly a faster, smaller group. You know, I think somebody said on Twitter that day uh, on Saturday, like, boy, they look pretty... They look kind of small. And then, like, two minutes later, well, but they're pretty fast. <laughs> so it's like... So to your point, yeah, I think out of necessity, you have to be aggressive. I think that you can... You know, the coverage stuff, you can continue to mix your zone things in there with uh, with your man coverage but um the front seven alignment was was kind of curious at times i i don't know if he's landed quite yet on what he wants to do and maybe health 
Yeah. Oh, Harbaugh did say today, I don't know what he said about those guys, but health maybe has something to do with it. Yeah, it sounds like at least they're hopeful that they could get Jeter back next week. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like maybe Dwum Four is a little bit longer term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought, you know, the one thing that defensively you feel really good about coming out of that opener is <laughs> Ambry Thomas. Yeah. I mean, we were sitting there two weeks ago when Jim Harbaugh is laying out this long list of steps that he's got to get through. Yeah, just he was to, on like yeah. in the hospital, like with an IV in her yeah. arm or something. And he, I mean, hearing him say that, I think everybody's reaction is like, okay, this is going to be you know a longer term thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so to see him not only play but start, uh, come up with an interception, a fumble recovery. I mean, that was I think more than anybody uh, legitimately could have expected yeah. from him. And then on top of that, like you said, Vincent Gray played really well when mm-hmm. he was out there. So all of a sudden, the cornerback position, which going into it, you thought that could be the weak link, all of a sudden that that yeah. looks pretty solid. You know, you know what Lavert Hill is. Ambry Thomas is is healthy and looks to be back to pretty much his old self. And I think he, Vincent Gray showed that you can trust him uh, to go out there and play as well. So that that's all of a sudden looks like a pretty solid situation. Yeah, and maybe and no one, of course, would have ever wished anyone to get sick, but maybe it ends up working out to a a positive in that Vincent Gray got a lot of reps. Yeah, a lot more than he maybe would have uh, in fall camp, and now suddenly he looks like a guy who basically pre- prepared as a starter for a month. And is going to play a lot anyway because you know, we saw him on the field quite a bit with the other two corners. But yeah, to see Ambry Thomas out there, not just playing, but being the Ambry Thomas that we kind of know and that he flies all over the place. He's got great speed. He's around the ball. He plays really hard. He looked like, I mean, he lost all this weight, but he looked like he'd gained yeah. a lot of it back. So mm-hmm. um, very interesting <laughs> to see a guy who, who goes through a really serious illness that really hampered him. It seems like all summer because um, he was fine at the end of spring, so it was a summer situation. And then to come out there and fly around like that, um, that's what they want out of him, and I think that that probably makes Michael Zordich sleep a little better at night. <laughs> yeah. uh, probably makes Don Brown sleep a little bit better at night as well, um, in that he didn't have to get creative there. He didn't have to play a freshman before he was ready. He didn't mm-hmm. have to do any of that stuff, which is always important. You know, we hear a lot of quick, why, is, why wasn't Daxon Hill out there? Why wasn't this guy? I mean, yeah. You know, you don't have to rush those guys into action if you don't need to. Uh, before they're ready, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It was funny. I was I was just at uh, Lion stuff today, and Paul Pasqualoni is sitting down there talking about <laughs> Paul Pasqualoni. Yeah, who's been around for a million Last years. Uh, and he's sitting down there talking about young players because he's getting asked about all these rookies. And he brings up, which he, he does a, a, apparently all the time, he brings up the fact that hey, I'm the guy who redshirted Donovan McNabb, Marvin Harrison, and all these other guys at Syracuse wow. because you gotta. It's okay. It's okay to ask a guy to sit out a little bit and, and learn a little bit. And if you can get away with that, you know, that's all, all the more power to you. Because asking a guy to go in there like that that early uh, sometimes can be a problem, especially in the secondary, which we saw later in the game. Uh, a few hiccups happen, and all of a sudden you yeah. get a 60-yard touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that about wraps up Middle Tennessee State. Uh, yeah. That's kind of, you know, that's you look at Michigan's schedule, like that's <laughs> the game. It really that, is, yeah. You know, that after this, like yeah. they got Army on Saturday, and we'll get into that more uh, on our, our Thursday podcast. But that's going to be a very fascinating matchup and a, a very different matchup yeah. for sure than what, what they had. Before we get out of here, was there anything anything this week that we, you know, that like, was a myth busted for you this week? Anything that we heard so much about in fall camp that you were like, all right, that's not going to happen? Or something that really kind of surprised you at all this week? Or was it more about what you expected? You know, I think 
I think we saw less of the RPO than I sure. expected, given all the you know all all the discussion of it in the preseason. Yeah. And you know, again, we kind of hesitate to say, well, this is what they did, and this is what they're going to be. And I certainly think if you know, they're looking at the same same yeah. thing and realizing our offense moved the ball really well right. when we were doing that. Um, so I think I was a little bit surprised that 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 they didn't throw that out there sooner and that they didn't do it more. Yeah. Uh, but that may again have been just the idea that we're going to throw everything out there and not necessarily tip our hand in terms of yeah. the the direction that we're going to go. But I did think we'd see more of that. Mm-hmm. For me, it was Uche. I, I just, uh, he's got to be on the field more. I, I don't get that one. I, I, and I, Jordan Glasgow had a nice game too, and he played mm-hmm. really well. And that was one where he gets he gets the nod maybe over uh, over uh, Devin Gill there. But man, I mean, he has got to be in your eleven mm-hmm. at all times. And I just when he's sitting out, man, I just feel like you're, you know, Don Brown knows a lot more about defense than I do, obviously. <laughs> but that was one for me where I just kind of thought it's not based on anything we'd heard necessarily from anybody piping one guy up or whatever. But that's one where I do scratch my head a little bit and wonder about. Whereas, uh, I understand your point too in the RPO, and like we said, maybe that's something where they just shut it down and said we're going to work on other things. But and maybe that maybe that's maybe they didn't want to burn Uche out or something. I don't know. But that for me is one where I kind of we'll see about that. Yeah. Well, a lot to watch moving forward. We'll yeah. have a lot to talk about on our Thursday show uh, as we look ahead to the matchup with Army. Uh, thanks for checking out the podcast, everybody. Thanks for subscribing. Uh, give us a review. Rate us on iTunes. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday with our uh, subscriber-only show. Uh, Until then, Nick, thanks as always. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you later.